we got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day Podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, here's Reese Davis. Summer is officially here, which means football season is not far behind. Which games are we most excited for, particularly in the early part of the season? What's going to happen with conference realignment and much, much more on this College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, June 21st. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. And just as we get started here, Pete, I know that you'll join me in sending out our very best wishes to Zach Herbstreet, Ohio State tight end, son of our friend and colleague, Kirk Herbstreet, who uh, is in the hospital recovering uh, from some ailments and, and under doctor's care there. And we're all very concerned, but very, uh, very grateful for the care that he's getting in Columbus as well. Uh, I know that I've communicated with the Herb Street, so just briefly with Zach, who, um, you know, who is beyond appreciative for all of the support that he's getting and all of the prayers that have been offered on his behalf and, and on the behalf of his family, too. This is a trying time. Anytime that you have a, a child that is undergoing some of the trials and tribulations that Zach is right now, and he's just a just a tremendous young man, just a, a great guy, a rising, terrific player as well, but more importantly, just a just an outstanding person. And we send our best out for him and hope that Zach is 100% and all of the medical issues are dealt with in an expeditious fashion and, and that he's back on his feet and ready to go in very short order because we he, he's part of the family man i mean when you've done this pete as long as i have and uh you know i'm going into my ninth season on game day and obviously i've known you know kirk for much much longer than that you've been able to at least on some level see these uh see these guys grow up all the children of the people that we work with and uh you know it's uh it's it's a difficult situation for them but uh you know they're they're doing they're doing well so far and i know everybody's sending out their very best wishes and and offering up uh prayers for his full recovery and he- recovery and healing too yeah, obviously, you know, echo that sentiment, Reese. One of the the parts of being new on game days, you get to know the whole Herb Street family, and they're they're all wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're obviously they they weave in and out of uh, of the different weeks of the uh, show, and obviously Zach was a. Uh, Preferred walk on tight end at uh, at Ohio State, so he wasn't around as much as some of the other brothers uh, last year. But just uh, yeah, just uh, you know, our, our prayers with them for a uh, for a speedy recovery and uh, for him to leave the hospital soon. Yeah, looking looking forward to that. And we'll uh, we'll keep you up to date. And you know, Zach's uh, uh, Zach loves college football just like his old man does. You know, he's uh, he's uh, wearing that scarlet and gray, and it's been a, a great moment, great accomplishment for him. So we're. Uh, we're sending out our our best to him. So uh, as we go into this summer and get closer and closer to being able to talk about practice actually starting and um, you know things that are that are going to change. Once we get there, what's the alignment going to look like out west? Because you have devoted a significant portion of internet space uh, to San Diego State. And probably that gains a little more traction and attention because of the way their basketball team performed and Mm -hmm. because of the void in Southern California left by the departures, the impending departures of USC and UCLA from the Pac-12. Where do we stand on this right now? Do you anticipate San Diego State... Uh, which I guess there's some legalese about notifying the Mountain West. Hey, we might be leaving. We could. We kind of plan to, hope to, sort of, if we're asked to the dance, we'd like to go uh, kind of thing. Where are we going to stand uh, by the start of the season? I intend to break up with you after prom was sort of the... Uh, was sort exactly. Of the- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we can go ahead and go to prom, but after that, we're yeah. done here. Right? Yeah. We're not, yeah. We're not going to make college moving um, in, the, uh, in, the, in the fall. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So I think the, the there's two ways to look at this San Diego State thing. One is that it is undeniably clunky right now, and uh, obviously the there's been a, a pair of letters exchanged uh, from each side uh, stating where they are and where they think they are. And uh, as usual in college athletics, Reese, the lawyers will probably end up winning. Um, San Diego State informed the Mountain West intended to leave. The Mountain West took that as a departure letter, and and hence the uh, the polite squabbling has uh, ha- has begun. I, I think 
if you step back from sort of the micro tiff here and, and look at the macro, this is my interpretation. Now, this is an opinion, not a, like a reported fact. I really think that San Diego State is betting on chaos if it leaves the Mountain West now to save $17 million, meaning they will need a home of some significant kind of financial upgrade by a year from today. And now none of us quite knows how the dominoes are going to fall. I think if you talk to people around the industry, there is a pretty fair certainty that dominoes are falling and will fall. So San Diego State sort of explicitly inferred, if you can explicitly infer, right? This is uh, one of those one of those Jay Billis things about unique, right? Uh, <laughs> um, they referenced the looming Pac-12 uh, contract stalemate without actually saying in the Pac-12. So they made it fairly clear that they wanted a, a month extension to wait out the, the Pac-12's never-ending saga of a uh, of, of inertia of a TV deal. And so when they were then denied that on Friday by the uh, by the Mountain West in the, in the final letter uh, letter rebuttal, um, but I think at the end of the day, San Diego State plans to leave. They plan to leave, save the seventeen million, and then they hope to find a home. And the the, the calculus on that is twofold: one, it's a bet on chaos, which seems like a fair bet, and two, would the Mountain West really not let them back? If they if they yeah. you know ended up now with the home like I, I, the Mountain West let them back when they left for the Big East nine nine ish years ago right ten ish years ago so mm-hmm. they have as the best program in the league they have a, a, a fairly significant uh, you know leverage and th- this seems like uh, a, an exercise for that and that they've just been told they're not going to be done any favors. Um, you know, they're, they're not going to be given special treatment. But I can't imagine San Diego State in two seasons, because they're obviously going to play in the Mountain West this season, two seasons just operating as an independent and playing like Idaho State and Northern. Like, I just it, that scenario just it seems to me they will find a home. That's just my mm-hmm. analysis of the of of the landscape as it goes. Um, you know, we've all been sort of waiting to see if Colorado ends up taking some of their frustration and actually making a move to the to the Big 12. And uh, I think we'll get some clarity on that. You know, perhaps, I guess the question is, will we get clarity on that before we get clarity on the Pac-12 TV deal? And the latest deadline sort of destined to be unmet in the Pac-12 TV deal was, was broadcast by Kirk Schultz, the Washington State president, a budget meeting a week or so ago, where he said June 30th. I haven't seen or felt any signs that there's going to be deal numbers and some clarity that has emerged by June 30th. Maybe there is. I think it would be better for everybody's summer if there was some clarity. But uh, usually these things, you know, tend to uh, tend to drag out a little bit. So um, could Colorado leave before seeing deal numbers? I still think it's unlikely. But the longer it drags, maybe the the, the higher that uh, that potential goes. So that is our westward soap opera update Uh and the June 30th date that you referenced is after that date that San Diego State's exit fee doubles, Correct. or a yes. little more than doubles, like 16 and a half to 34 million. I don't blame the Mountain West for not giving them yeah. a break. I mean, yeah. why would you? I mean, there's no, there's no incentive for them to do so. Yes. So, you know, if they have to come crawling back, then, you know, I'm, I agree with you. Why wouldn't you let them in? There's no room for spite. This is all just business here. Yeah. And they're not, you know, they're not, Saying, oh yeah, sure, we'll give you an extension out of spite. That too is business. So I don't blame San Diego State for trying. You know, the answer is always no unless you ask. Mm-hmm. So you know, it it will be interesting. I do. I, I just don't know how valuable San Diego State is. Uh, I know they've they've got the the new facilities. They've got a great basketball program. They've got the new stadium. You know, they've and it's in a part of the part of the country that's very attractive and I'm sure there's room for growth but there's not a lot of history there I don't know that that's going to be terribly compelling um, to TV viewers outside of San Diego State alums because I would imagine that outside of that area people in the city and actual alums that they don't carry the same weight as a school or anything close to the same weight as the schools who are leaving. And I would even argue that at least as it pertains just to football, that they really don't even have the national brand that, you know, say, uh, say Boise state, you know, does certainly, um, at least that's my impression of it. So I, their, their primary value seems to be that they've done a really good job with their facilities. They've won. 
and they're in a region of the country that would be advantageous. But in terms of any type of cachet right now, I don't really see it. Am I off base there? So I would say their cachet is in the wrong sport. Um, I would say even prior to the uh, to the to the title game run this year, I think the number is if you count the COVID year where they were thirty and two and were going to be probably the number one overall seed in that NCAA tournament. If not, they were definitely a one seed. I think they would have been in the tournament eleven to fourteen years. So that's a that's a pretty good run of basketball. Now I'm not saying they're UConn, but or they hadn't they hadn't done anything in the tournament until this past year. Now what they did this year was sensational. But they really hadn't done anything in the tournament prior to that. Maybe one Sweet 16 run or something. Uh, yes. So especially yeah. recently, they had not done. They had two pretty good runs under Fisher in uh, in, in 14 and 15. Um, but yeah, they they had won they they had won a little bit uh, a little bit there. But no, they had not been a dominant tournament team. But that, the the point is like they have been a like high functioning program, right? Sure, for sure. And, in, in you know in the national conversation elite home arena environment like they they, they felt like a big time program now again not a national title winning program they're not they're not Kentucky they're not close to Gonzaga yet but they have at least built to the point where they are a a national brand every year they're not there in football yet I think they've had five 10 win seasons since 2015 but they haven't had the breakthrough in football like Boise's had a few times like they're not they're not quite there yet in football so I guess that here's the existential San Diego State finds a new league question will they be a full share member of their new league my guess as of right now would be they would not and they would have to come in at a discount so if you get say just to use the big 12's number because we have a number if you get half of the uh 31 million that, that almost 32 million that the big 12 is going to get so let's say it's 16 million that's almost three times not quite three times as much as you're going to get in the in the mountain west so they would be there for an upgrade i do think like if you were buying stocks in programs much like we used to talk 10 years ago but you'd buy stock in ucf i would have bought stock in usf less than and like most of my stocks i would have lost money um <laughs> but um I, you know there's there's a lot of reasons to like san diego state um and it's in and where it can grow in its future the, the local talent in both the major sports and the stadium is obviously a huge addition. You, you know, if you look at realignment history, you have to build to be included, and they have built. So a ton of credit for uh, that. You ever do a game at Viejas, Reese? Has game day ever been there? We have not. We've talked about it uh, yeah. several times. We'd love to go there because the environment is is elite from what I've seen on television. But we have not elite. taken game day Just basketball elite. there. Yeah. yeah, it's been yeah. I was there when Jimmer came and played the year of Jimmer. And uh, yeah. it's, it's awesome. Like it is as it is as big time. It is a top 10 environment in the country, I would say, for basketball. It is intimate. It is loud. It is choreographed. It is snarky, bordering, hostile, but not quite inappropriate. But they'll they'll like nudge up to the line in the way some good student sections do. So, yes, I uh, I couldn't endorse that. If you're a basketball fan in Southern California, it's definitely worth the worth the trip down. But those are the trappings of a real program when you have a a culture, a fan culture. They obviously have a winning culture. So, anyway, I'm generally bullish on San Diego State, but the payoff isn't coming quite yet. Um, so I'd expect them to be somewhere else. I, I, you know, but it, it all sort of everything still, the, the, the linchpin of all this still is what kind of number can George Klyovkov give, um, the PAC 12 schools, and then they're going to make decisions. And yeah, that number could mean there's an exodus from the PAC 12. There could be breakups. There could be, yeah, uh, they, they could add if they have good numbers, they could add San Diego State and SMU and stay whole. Like, so there's, there's a lot of ways this can go. The fate of our summer, um, and I'm sure Sarah can give us a, a Taylor Swift reference here. Uh, leans on uh, leans on what the Pac-12 can do with a TV deal. Hey, Sarah, if if this summer and realignment were set to uh, to a Taylor Swift song, what would it be? I mean, the obvious answer is "Cruel Summer" by Taylor Swift. It just works so perfectly. Um, it's been very cruel for the Mountain West. It seems so. It seems like it's the perfect fit. <laughs> What what is Taylor, what is your favorite Taylor Swift song? The one if you could only listen to one Taylor Swift song from this point forward, what would it be? Oh my gosh, that's hard. Is that not um, fair? Is that an unfair question? Well, they're all so good, but I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Enchanted. That's my favorite one. 
Sing yeah. sing a few bars of that. I'm not familiar <laughs> with this with this tune. I'm gonna spare I'm gonna spare our listeners that, but um highly recommend Enchanted by Taylor Swift. Maybe Bill can just come on and sing it for us. As soon as this podcast is over, I'm going to listen to Enchanted by Taylor Swift because I, I want to uh, I want to immerse myself in, in this knowledge that Sarah has so gleefully shared with us over the last few weeks. So <laughs> the one I can't get out of my head is the one about we'll never, ever, ever be together or, or get back together, whatever, whatever that is. I don't know the lyrics exactly, but that is a catchy tune. It's sort of like the old, uh, this is an old school reference that Sarah won't get at all, but like the old blues traveler song about mm. songs, you know, the hook will bring you back. Uh, that, that hook will, uh, will get you with that. Which is it? Is it we will never, ever be together or get back together? What is that, Sarah? Um, I believe it's we are never getting back together. Never getting back together. That. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of sad. But sometimes relationships end. That's the way it goes. So, and Taylor's there to sing about it when it happens. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pete, I think I still owe, maybe we owe, I don't remember what the bet was, but we owe Bill Connolly steak. So in lieu of paying that off, because I haven't seen Bill Connolly face-to-face in like (laughs) maybe a year, uh, I don't really remember the last time I saw him where I could actually pay for a steak for him. Instead, we're making him come on the podcast again. Bill, good to see you. Um, How how on a SP plus ranking scale, how's your summer been so far? It's been solid. I haven't been in Bristol since, yeah, like last summer. So I uh, still got to figure that one out. But, um, you know, we we took an actual vacation. We actually put a backdrop backdrop back here. Um, oh. Fancy, you know, we don't have the beige wall by itself anymore. It's been a very productive summer, I think. Where'd you go, Bill? Uh, this was the wife and kids first overseas trip. Um, so right. I, I wanted them to go to a place I was pretty familiar with. So we did Germany, we did Munich and Berlin, hopped up to Copenhagen as well. Um, did, took a lot of day trips from those, but it was phenomenal trip, phenomenal trip. It's been, you know, we've been back for a month and we're still kind of down about being back. We, we didn't want to leave just yet. Give me the best thing you ate. Oh, geez. Um, well, I saw some of your Instagram. So well, is- I, you know, the thing that made me the happiest was getting back to the, the land of currywurst. Um, I'm, I'm pretty easy in that regard. We had some fancy, we had a fancy sushi meal in Copenhagen that was amazing. Um, we had a lot of high, higher end stuff here and there, but currywurst is just there, the, you know, the drunk food that you get, uh, late at night or the easy food you get during the day, your call. Um, and, and it's just, it's the best. It doesn't make any sense that it's as good as it is. And it's great. What was the most significant what thing? What was the most memorable thing you did? Was this more a just walk around, experience everything, experience the food, or did you have a mission, something you wanted to accomplish while, <laughs> while you were on your trip? Well, uh, you know, I wanted to, you know, this was a very, very long trip for wife and kid. Uh, and so part of it was just kind of getting to know, you know, what changes here and there. And, and there are a lot of great changes. You got to get used to no AC. Um, that's, that's a very American thing. Um, and it's a very much a not European thing. Uh, but it really was, you know, three extremely different cities, um, have them just kind of exposed to a lot of stuff, get the kid in a position where she loves travel because we thought she did and she definitely does. Um, and, and, you know, my wife liked Munich the best because it's clean and orderly and, uh, just the easiest city in Europe to kind of immerse yourself in the kid liked Berlin the most because it was not clean and not orderly and just kind of a mess all around. And, uh, that fit her general aesthetic pretty well too. So, uh, it was something, it was something for everybody. And, and to answer the other question, currywurst is basically sausage with a, a, curry sauce on top it's like curry ketchup Mm. basically we've tried to make it 
here many times through the years. Just nothing compares to to what every single street vendor in Germany has, though. It doesn't make any sense. So did you get your fill and now you're you're back? Did you? Well, first of all, you're a soccer guy. Did you go to a soccer match? Yeah. Uh, I want, we, we almost did, um, but I could not make myself pay. Uh, well, at one point it was about three fifty a ticket. Uh, and, and it ended up being like 1100 a ticket per once we got closer to the match. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So there's, there's plenty of, of soccer to take in, but we didn't go to a match, unfortunately. Well, that leaves you with good old American football with uh, the clock not stopping That's right. uh, after first downs, at least for a while anymore. But the constant <laughs> that's back is uh, is SP Plus and looking ahead to the season. So we were kind of planning the show. Give me a couple of games that you're really looking forward to. And I hope I'm not throwing you a curveball, but maybe some. No. I think everybody's looking forward to Florida State and LSU. You know, Ohio State, Notre yeah. Dame. Give me a couple early particularly that, that you're looking for looking forward to well lsu florida state's definitely on the list i do um you know at this point in the season you know we we know georgia's going to be good we know ohio state and michigan are going to be good we're still waiting to see how good but they're they're you know they've got all the the ingredients required to be awesome unless a ton of injuries happen we're you know a little curious about alabama because they seem to have more questions than normal you know they might only be fourth or fifth in the in the final uh, you know SP plus projections. Crazy, it's everything's falling apart there in Tuscaloosa. Uh, but it, it is that next batch of teams that I end up you know focusing the most on at this point. I just have the most questions about Penn State, about LSU, about Florida State, about like the top one third of the Pac twelve. Um, and, and so the, that's, that's pretty much where I tend to gravitate. If we're looking for, you know, more under the radar week one games, I am, um, you know, I think West Virginia is a perfect test for Penn State. I mean, first of all, that matchup is always just right. That's, that's the right matchup. It's always good when Penn State and West Virginia are playing. And, um, that's kind of a, a you know, West Virginia should have something to offer. Um, but, but not enough. Penn State should be able to overcome that. Drew should look pretty good, but we're going to get a good test of just how good he looks early on. So that's. Do your numbers like Penn State, Bill? Uh, quite a bit. They're, they're eighth. They're in that batch of teams that's, okay. you know, there aren't, there isn't much separating, you know, number five from number eight or number nine. And they're, so they're right there. And, and I mean, makes sense. They were sixth at the end of last season. They were better than everybody on their schedule except, you know, the two playoff teams. And, um, they have a chance now. They have a little more upside, a little less experience this year. And, you know, that, that recipe doesn't always click, but they're going to have a shot. They're, they're going to have a shot at something big. They're going to be favored in every game that isn't Ohio State and Michigan again. Um, and I like the, the early test. West Virginia having to go at Illinois. Illinois probably isn't going to be as good as they were last year, but the, it'll be a test in Iowa and so on. So they've got a really, really intriguing schedule, I think, when it comes to just kind of getting to know, like, what exactly what are you capable of here? But I mentioned the pack. Your numbers not like Illinois, Bill. Uh, well, regression. Um, you know, yeah, nothing. Sure. You know, they're not going to suddenly be at the bottom of the Big Ten. But with what they lost on defense, um, and with what they never had on offense, plus they lose Chase Brown, <laughs> um, that does seem like a pretty shaky combination. They should probably. Um, it, it's going to be a little trickier for them this year, even if they're still kind of a bowl level team. Um, but then, I, I, you know, as far as other exciting games, Oregon at Texas Tech in week two is, is kind of a dark horse. I think we're going to, again, like, well, I think some of us have a lot of questions about Texas Tech. I, I've seen them kind of mentioned as a potential dark horse in the Big 12 quite a bit. Uh, but we'll know, you know, Oregon was so good offensively last year and, and they were okay defensively, but it seemed like they had more. It was kind of the the hole was less than the sum of the parts, and maybe they had another gear here uh, in Dan Lanning's second year. Uh, there's a lot to like there, and there's a lot to like about Washington, who has Michigan State in Week Three. Those are those are fun, uh, challenging games that'll tell us if we're looking at like a top fifteen or twenty team or or, or a potential top five team. I, I said on the podcast a few weeks ago, Bill, that if or when, if and when I fill out a preseason AP poll ballot, I'm going to have Michigan number one. Um, because I look at lines of scrimmage and then obviously returning quarterback. I think that J.J. McCarthy has an opportunity to take a, a giant step forward. He's already good. I think he has a great chance to be elite this year. And doesn't mean I'm going to leave it there. 
But the other contenders from a roster standpoint, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, all have pretty significant quarterback questions. Now, they may have pretty significant quarterback promise, uh, particularly in the, in the case of Georgia, but we haven't seen it yet. If I followed that logic to the extent, I do have some questions about LSU's defense outside of Harold Perkins. But there's a part of me that says preseason to start just to line them up based on that criteria, returning production, at least enough returning or enough commodities uh, acquired from elsewhere along the lines of scrimmage and quarterback play that could elevate. There's a part of me that wants to go Michigan one, Florida State two, and LSU three. Because LSU, I think they have an entire offensive line back. They, they got Jaden Daniels back. They have some questions on defense. I, I'll be hard pressed not to put Georgia, you know, two or three, just to be <laughs> candid about it. But those three teams at least have some of that, some of those building blocks and you know what you're getting at quarterback and you hope that this might be the year you get even more, uh, from the guys from those three teams that I mentioned. Yeah, I think, I mean, what we've learned in this, um, you know, Saban smart era of college football is that if you just, if you just put together rankings based solely on quarterback and line play, uh, that'll catch you pretty far, uh, offense and defensive (laughs) line play. Um, and, and we know that, you know, once you get to the playoff, assuming Georgia's there, Bama might be there too. You're going to have to be able to stand up in the trenches, no matter what else you have to offer. And obviously TCU, uh, couldn't, couldn't quite do that against Georgia. Uh, they got mauled in that very specific era, area and it just didn't matter what else happened after that. So, I mean, if you follow that logic, then Michigan, there's, there's certainly logic to put, uh, put in Michigan first. We do think that JJ McCarthy does have another gear. Um, he was, he was good to, to somewhere between good and very good last year. And he's still young, uh, has all sorts of athletic potential. So that would make sense. I think, um, I, I need to see what they have to offer from a pass rush perspective, but the offensive line is going to be great. Um, it is kind of old school in that they've built around, uh, you know, O-line and run game and all that. And McCarthy kind of gives them some playmaking as well. So I, I like that to a certain degree. I LSU and Florida State, to me, both they have to prove they can stop the run. Um, offensive line, both should be excellent. The quarterbacks are, are super, super fun. I, I'd love to see maybe uh, – you know, both Daniels and and Travis both uh, can make a lot of plays. I do think Jaden Daniels still looks to extend plays before he has to. Um, mm-hmm. That gets him into trouble occasionally. But both he and Travis were mostly excellent last year. Offensive lines are going to be good. I just need to see them hold up on the other side. Florida State's run defense was really, really poor last year. Um, and there's no guarantee it gets better. Uh, LSU might be pretty good against the run, but I still need to see that they can still rush the passer as well. So, I mean, uh, they have the one pass rusher, mm-hmm, but we need right. to see who can uh, compliment Perkins a little bit in that regard. So, yeah, I, I mean, there's logic at least to making them both top five teams. Let's put it that way. I do think Georgia just gets the benefit of the doubt at this point until, you know, they prove that, you know, attention span that was sort of an issue last year is even more of an issue this year, or the quarterback is going to take a while, or Mike Bobo was a bad offensive coordinator hire. There are plenty of things that could trip Georgia up. Um, but I'm still, I would still put them number one no, just out of. I, I understand that. And I do want to point something out, Pete. Uh, when you do these rankings in the early season, if you're voting as a pollster or whatever it might be, you should be fluid and react to what you see. A preseason poll is not a prediction of how it's going to be at the end. It's where you think they're going to start. And if right. Georgia comes out, maybe not week one, but when Georgia plays South Carolina, who ought to be representative and, and mm-hmm. Carson Beck looks terrific and they run the ball. Okay. Well, then Georgia's number one again. You know, that's easy. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, yeah. and I think what happens is especially because there's so much time and you have guys like me and, and people who love to say, see, you don't know what you're talking about. You moron, you know, and all of that stuff. It's, this is how I would start. I don't think there's any question that if Georgia gets top level quarterback play again, which they've had the last couple of years, um, if they get top level quarterback play again, they're going to be number one. They're probably going to win the national championship again. <laughs> you know, so it's, um, but at least to start, I know what I've got with McCarthy. I feel like I know what I'm getting with Travis and, and I'm pretty sure 
you know, I know what I'm getting um, with Jane Daniels too. Uh, but I think your point's well taken about Daniels because last year that frustrated, at least for a while, that frustrated some of his receivers for a while. But it was early transition, and maybe that's all gone away, and it's going to be clicking on all cylinders from opening night in Orlando against uh, against the Seminoles. Bill, let me ask you this uh, to to switch gears a little bit to a team that I'm really intrigued by, and, and I want to ask you about USC through the prism of the modern uh, gathering of your metrics, right? <laughs> this was easier when this sport was a little, had a little bit more continuity and wasn't such a, a year-to-year jigsaw puzzle where everybody kind of shakes the Yahtzee dice and ends up somewhere else. I was looking at USC's too deep yesterday, and, uh, you know, the, like the entire defensive line are, are going to be transfers, right? Like the Mason Cobb middle linebacker is, uh, you know, who probably is the best linebacker on their on in their program. Inserted, obviously, came over from Oklahoma State. So they just... Like, what is the numeric case for USC, and in and how do you sort of like channel them through the, through the through the prism of what you do? I just think they're a really interesting test case. They also don't have, you know, they they don't have a chance to be an underdog until <laughs> they go to Notre Dame on October fourteenth. Then they have Utah the next week. Now they have a heck of a finishing kick: Washington at Oregon, UCLA the last few weeks. So. I, in theory, that would give them some time to like figure things out. But I, I'm just kind of curious about your read on the Trojans with their uh, free agent, free agent hall. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I like their defensive free agent hall more this year than I did last year. Um, you okay. know, th- that's that, that was a big first step. And I think, you know, from an SP plus perspective, it was, um, you know, we headed into last year. I knew SP plus was going to be wrong about USC. Like there was no way, you know, in the way I defined returning production. The way I was evaluating transfer halls, there was no, there was nothing built into that process to account for a team that takes 20 transfers and also the Bolitnikov winner and the soon to be Heisman winner and, and, and transfers of that caliber and volume. So I think now that we've had a year of teams like USC and LSU and kind of Ole Miss and, and teams like that do, kind of do, taking this route, I've got a better idea of how to handle it. Of course, then Deion Sanders went and just broke that. You know, I said I finally figured out how to adapt the mold for this new time, and then Deion Sanders goes and signs fifty transfers. So um, they're the new unprojectable team. But I like, you know, SP Plus has basically USC as a as the number one offense and a borderline top forty defense. Um, and hmm. that's okay. if they have a top forty defense, they're a CFP contender. I don't, it, it's I don't trust that they have a top forty defense. That feels a little ambitious to me. But what were a couple of Lincoln's Oklahoma defenses in SP plus where they got he, in? I think he has had one defense that was better than I think top 60 or that, that was in the top 60. I should say everything's been in okay. kind of the 60 to 80 range for the most part. They were 87th last year. Um, and, and for very, very obvious reasons, they gave up a ton of yards <laughs> and points. And if they weren't the most lucky team in the country from a turnovers perspective, oh, they would have been so much worse. So, um, they have a lot to prove there, but I do like, you know, Barry Alexander is exactly a kind of the kind of guy they needed last year. Mason Cobb is very, very much the kind of guy they needed last year. He is a, um, plus tackler, obviously, but he's a, he's a major run stuffer, a very, very good player overall and hard nosed and rugged and all those things that they could have used a little more of. So, um, you have a high potential and high work rate kind of guy there at inside linebacker. It's going to solve some problems that, uh, that popped up a lot last year. Secondary, we'll see lots of potential there, but, uh, front seven should be much, much better. How, how do the numbers for SC, because they've got Oregon and Washington on the schedule? How do the numbers compare yeah. uh, to the Ducks and the Huskies? Ducks are 11th. Huskies are 17th. Uh, Notre Dame's 15th. Utah's 14th. Uh, USC is 7th. Uh, so basically, you know, with home road built into there, you're basically looking at a 54% win probability against Notre Dame, uh, 49% at Oregon, um, slight favorite against Utah and, and Washington. But basically that you're looking at four extremely likely wins or eight extremely likely wins and four relative toss-ups. Uh, you know, win three of them and you'll be in pretty good shape, I guess. Since we're in the Pac-12 here, Bill, uh, from my extremely unscientific, unquantifiable <laughs> opinion in my 20 years doing this, this is the best I remember the Pac-12 one to six. Yeah. 
have, have you looked at the, like the numbers of the Pac-12 and how they are to start the season compared to sort of your lexicon of, uh, of, of data? Well, they had, you know, 90s, they had some good runs. A lot of teams kind of peaking sure. at different times, but that was the 90s were a while ago. Um, and so, yeah, in yeah. terms of, I think one of the years around like 2014 ish, something in there, it, it, it had a really good, like second best average overall. Um, you know, when Arizona and Arizona State were both doing well and all those other things. But no, I mean, in terms of, you know, depth, we'll see. But the top half of the conference is all projected in the top 30. The top four teams are all whatever that was, like 17th or better. So um, <laughs> this probably ends up being another situation where, you know, everybody beats up everybody and the, end, and the winner has two or three losses. But it's going to be a really good two or three loss team uh, because the whoever is the best from this pile of teams should be top 10 caliber. Is there anything that in this final season of the 14 playoff that would that would kind of surprise you in terms of the playoff team here here's the reason I asked this question I was thinking this morning about some of these things that we were going to talk about the SP plus rankings and the feeling that Florida State's fate would be decided by the end of September and they've played LSU and Clemson and I think that is the most likely outcome but it's also possible to look at it from a different perspective and say that LSU wins at the end of the game, that, you know, Clemson beats Florida State on the road, you know, in, in a late game. Let's, for the sake of comparison, the way Alabama lost its two games last year. Right. And then Florida State goes out and rips everybody else. And LSU wins the SEC, or at least plays in the championship game. And Clemson wins the ACC. I can see a two, I, it's going to feel over. For Florida State, if they don't at least split those two games, but depending on how those games go, I could see a scenario where they where they're still at least staying in the fight and staying in the in the four team field if they play close and look dominant the rest of the way, and maybe somebody else they beat in there turns out to be pretty good or something of that nature. That last part I think is key. I mean, basically. Um, you know, the strength of schedule, their projected strength of schedule for, for my stuff is they're, they're 42nd. Uh, and all, and all of that comes from LSU and Clemson. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, they play, at, you know, Florida's a projected top 30. Miami's projected top 40, but that's, that's it. Everybody else is in like the 40s, 50s, 60s. So, um, they need Miami or Pitt or Florida or maybe Duke or whoever to be really, really good and to beat them. And then, you know, probably paste Clemson in the ACC title game or however that ends up playing out this year. Um, that's, they'll need some breaks, but I mean, that's always the case. We saw Auburn almost make the, the playoff back in what, 2017 with two losses. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that was strength of schedule. Part of that was just the, the breaks. Everything fell the right way and they were positioned to do it until they lost to Georgia uh, in the SEC title game. So it could happen, but I would assume that if a two loss team were to get in, like, first of all, LSU would be more likely or just a team that has a little more oomph in the, in the strength mm-hmm. of schedule. They need somebody else in the, they need the ACC to be a lot better than it's projected to be, I think. Knowles ain't played nobody, Paul. <laughs> or if they, in this case, they played two teams and lost to them both. So that's going to be kind of tough, I think. <laughs> so sneaky, intriguing games, uh, Bill. One of mine, you know, that's not the 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 blockbuster marquee game like uh, LSU Florida State is Clemson going to Duke opening weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps. Nobody, you know, outkicked their coverage more than Duke last year. Maybe Tulane and Troy and a few other people. But boy, did did Duke really bust out under Mike Elko a, a lot quicker than than people thought. And you know, they returned Riley Leonard, who I think emerged as a, like a really high end ACC quarterback. Um, they've they've got a high end left tackle who I know the NFL really likes, and they've got some pieces on the defensive side. I don't think they've got any like Harold Perkins like creatures, but they're they're just sort of like an interesting try hard team. Um, what do your what do your numbers say about Duke? And you have Clemson with the new OC and a pretty much new starting quarterback. Like, could that be a trouble spot? You know, on that on that Monday, we all know when you play in Wallace Wade Stadium at night, you can throw out the That's records. Right. 
Um, well, I mean, I will say like SP plus didn't really like Duke all that much last year. It was an extremely, we're uh, saying USC was the most fortunate turnovers team in the country. Duke was really close to the top in that regard. Um, oh, interesting. They, they got a, they got a bunch of bounces. Their offense only finished the season 60th, which I think, you know, what we saw from an upside perspective, like Riley Leonard has a lot of it and, and mm-hmm. they were nicely well rounded overall. They didn't really have a weakness, but their strengths weren't necessarily dramatically strong. I think basically SB plus sees a team that took advantage of a bad ACC to a certain degree. But, you know, what I was saying with Penn State and West Virginia, at worst, it's a situation like that where Clemson will survive Duke, but will get a lot of questions answered. Um, Duke does have, well, first of all, Clemson's defense wasn't really as good as its reputation last year. It was merely kind of top 25 or top 30 good. And so we're, we're all, we're still focused on the offense and what can Garrett Riley do, um, with Klubnik and all these things? Can, can they modernize things in a way they should have last year? Uh, but the defense has to be able to stop Riley Leonard and company. Jalen Calhoun, the receiver, the slot man is one of the better slot receivers around. Um, so they will have a, 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 a some nice weapons to test Clemson's defense. Um, but yeah, I would assume in the end, um, their defense against Clemson's offense is probably, uh, that'll Clemson should pass that test. Let's put it that way. But that's, that's what the early weeks are all about here. Clemson's another team in that kind of five to 15 range that we have a lot of questions about. And, uh, that'll be a good way to, to get a bunch of answers in a short amount of time, I guess. Let me go deep. Reese, you look skeptical. Uh, I was just going to say, let me go deep cut (laughs) on you here, Bill. September game. An absolute trap situation. <laughs> Week four, Tennessee, post-Florida, pre-South Carolina, and here come the Roadrunners with Frank Harris, nine starters back <laughs> on offense, and you've, yes. you've, ju- the, you've just come off the Florida thing. You're anticipating the opportunity for revenge against the Gamecocks the next week, and, and UTSA is pretty good. And it's one of those games yeah. that the SEC haters will absolutely love if Tennessee were to step in an empty elevator shaft there. Am <laughs> I? I was looking for games that I'm really looking forward to because I believe that's the week where it looks as if the quote unquote marquee games are all going to be going against each other in prime time. And that one's likely to be an early mm-hmm. game. All the makings of at least providing some drama for a good good portion of that game. What say you? Uh, entertainment value should be just sky high. I, it might be one of those games where t- it's close for two quarters and Tennessee wins by 24. You're like, wait, how do they win by 24? It felt mm-hmm. like it was mm-hmm. you know, they, it, one of those games where they just score a bunch of touchdowns in a short amount of time to pull away. But yeah, I mean, Frank Harris, um, I hate that Franklin left. It looked like they were yeah. going to re- return mm-hmm. you know, most of their stars um from last year the the run game should be phenomenal again with Harris and and Kavorian Barnes they have a lot to offer from a skill from a skill position standpoint um and it'll teach us a lot about Tennessee's defensive depth if nothing else that's still a little bit of an issue there obviously that the the Josh Heupel defense is always going to face more plays than anybody in the country and and it could wear them down um i assume the UTSA defense does not have enough um now this is, I also assume that Joe Milton will be very good. Um, this is an assumption we have made on multiple occasions. It's, it's, a, it's an assumption that coaches have made on multiple occasions and have proven out to, to be incorrect. Um, you know, he, he has the most seductive arm in college football, but he hasn't been a great quarterback yet. And if he's not, I kind of figure he will be. He looked awfully good against Clemson. Yes, he but if, did. He's, if yeah. he does, if he does disappoint, uh, if they're playing the, the, the freshman or something, if things go kind of awry in that regard, um, well, A, that crushes Georgia's strength of schedule because Georgia has one, you know, potential oh, goodness. top 10 I team. Even, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. That's uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> But but it, yeah, in the meantime, it could make games like this really really scary with anybody who can keep up with them, uh, you know, from an offense perspective. So yeah, if, if Tennessee really is top ten caliber, they handle this one, even if they have to sweat for a while. Uh, but entertainment value, there's not going to be a more entertaining game in week four, whenever that is. And, and there's there's nothing wrong, Pete, to me with sweating that game because of where it falls on the schedule. I mean, they're yeah. they're yeah. Be- they're better than you expect going to be a sandwich and no matter how many times you tell them they're back-to-back conference champions or whatever you tell them you know it's it's hard to get them locked in with 
what they just finished. And not that Florida is going to be world beaters, but it's a rivalry game. It's important to Tennessee, you know, as, as we saw last year. It's going to be a road game. Uh, and then knowing South Carolina is coming the next week, they can be forgiven if the scenario unfolds the way Bill described it in, you know, two quarters, two and a half quarters. They're kind of, you know, hanging around. It's closer than you would expect. They can be forgiven for that. It doesn't mean Tennessee's not good if they don't do it. But it was just interesting as I was, as I was looking ahead yeah. to that particular week. Because that's the same week as Ohio State Notre Dame, which has already been announced in prime time, Iowa and Penn State, uh, which has already been announced in prime time, and I think that is also Florida State and Clemson, which has not been announced, but I would assume is going to be in prime time. So you get that afternoon, maybe even the noon kick. You might even get the sleepy, perfect the noon sleepy kick. noon kickoff there too that could uh, factor mm. in as well. So. Frank Harris is also 36 years old, so he's he's seen he's seen these types of environments. He was in Larry Coker's first recruiting class at Miami, and then transferred, or was he just at UTSA? That's right. Yes, That's right. exactly. I think he I think he was. I think it's the same class as Ed Reed. Um, he's he's one of those guys. Like we're going to look at his career stats. Um, you know, he's going to suddenly top like you know 18,000 passing yards because he's been there so long. But um, no, he's it's their offense. I have no questions about. And and the earlier the kickoff, the better. I think. One of those like UTSA is suddenly up 17 nothing and the entire country is watching and then you know Tennessee wins 59 to 35 or something but um you know that'll be yeah super fun Bill who could be this year's Tulane who could really just like who do the numbers say could just completely do a hairpin turn and in in really flip it uh you know hard um, this isn't a major, like, like that last part kind of ruined my answer. I was going to say SMU, um, but they, they don't have as much to flip, obviously. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I just, who, who, who could we see like really just outperforming last season? Yeah. Rhett Lashley. I mean, I realized they lost Tanner Mordecai, but I'm not, I'm not going to worry about a Le- Rhett Lashley offense. He's got, um, options at quarterback. Preston Stone, I believe is still there or is there. He was a blue chipper once upon a time. They're going to be fine mm-hmm. offensively. He added a ton of, uh transfers a ton of miami transfers actually which was kind of fun um little weird little transplant uh batch of transplants there but the guys like jalen knight and i think they probably have the most just pure upside of anybody in the aac this year and you know the g5 situation is kind of weakened by the fact that you know three of the most proven aac programs are now power conference teams um, so I, I'm not exactly sure where to look beyond Tulane. I mean, Tulane has just enough back that they could be uh, really, really interesting and competitive again. They have some playmakers to replace, and, and that always worries me a little bit. But their experience and depth are good. Um, but I think their biggest challenge will come from SMU. I, I do think um, we'll see if they if they play defense. That's you know been kind of optional through the years. But if they play, they don't have to play much to to be the be- uh, the best team in the AAC with that offense. In honor of Bill and his family eating their way through Germany, this has been a bit of a smorgasbord of, of a podcast, but it's been, it's been really fun, Bill. Uh, we talked a little bit before you came on about realignment and Pete at some point promised a trunk story. So let's, uh, what did you have something that happened in the trunk of your car when you were on vacation last year that's, that's so different from did, getting Wiener Schnitzel you know. from a street vendor? <laughs> Again, we're, we all are, are, are blessed to have the jobs we have. None of us are digging ditches or anything uh, Stop like with that. the disclaimer uh, the, and complain the, about what happened on vacation last year. <laughs> well, I was not quite on vacation yet. Uh, I had the trunk of my car open on a Thursday last July. And I live in Boston. We were going to my, my wife and uh, little Teddy was just, you know, four months old then. We were going to go drive down to Cape Cod to beat the traffic. So it was noon on a Thursday. Dad planning had it all lined up. And I like loaded the bags in the car and I went upstairs to get the rest of the bags and I got a text on my phone that said something was happening and that was at 1230 and I closed the trunk of my car at 530 <laughs> when I walked in the kitchen and said I don't think I closed the trunk so in between 1230 and 530 not great hours those are not good hours of the week and uh, we left the uh, following day for, uh, did for you vacation. beat the traffic so that's a that is an illustrative moment of how realignment always happens at the absolute worst time and uh, that's that my only guarantee is that realignment will be socially disruptive and family disruptive uh, for the uh, for the for the upcoming uh, for the upcoming few. Weeks. I, I will say it, it's always you know, I don't have that story, but just, um, you know, once we reach June, 
I want like we no a moratorium, no more realignment because we have officially turned the page. We're officially talking about the following season, and then we have to basically stop for a week and talk about this completely other thing that's going to happen three years from now. Um, so yes, any any future, I don't know what major moves are left at this point uh, that could happen, but anything that happens needs to happen in like April. That's that's my that's my main request. You know, you know, Deal. exactly. When we get ready to go on some significant trip. And I look at my phone like that. You know what my wife's response is? Put it down. No. Who got fired or is retiring? <laughs> like every time. Who who got fired or is retiring? Because she's like, and when and when does Sports Center want you to come on? She's she knows the look. <laughs> she knows the look when you <laughs> whether you know the Bob Stoops is leaving or or whatever it might be. So Always at inopportune time. I was in a golf cart at Army when Bob Stoops stepped down. I was uh, driving around the grounds. I was there for a, a clinic of some kind. Um, the Bob Huggins timing wasn't great last week for, you know, no. <laughs> Saturday morning, Father's yeah. Day weekend. Nice. Should be quiet weekend in late June. We had realignment that Friday with the little San Diego State kerfuffle with the Mountain <laughs> West. So, yeah, the uh, college football has managed to sneaky do what the NFL has done. It pretty much with the portal now and everything is pretty much delivered oxygen. But when way. all hope is lost and you start saying that, you know, maybe something's going to happen to ruin my vacation. If you're Bill Connolly, you just let your mind wander back to the clean streets of Munich and finding right. some type of schnitzel sausage with sauce that can't be duplicated so many different kinds of sauces. And life is good, right? <laughs> it was great. And it was wonderful. Still glowing was it curry a Curry schnitzel, Bill? What? Cur- I've never been to Germany. Curry, what was oh, curry it? Ver- curry, there is Wiener schnitzel. There's curry worst. Or curry worst. Curry worst. Thank you. Curry it, worst. It shouldn't be curry. Oh, we had half of the sausage. That, that doesn't sound appetizing because it should be curry best if it's, I mean, it's worst. <laughs> you know I mean? No, there's. We had that. We had the schnitzel. We had uh, the pork knuckle, the crispy pork knuckle. We had all the different kinds of pork and beef you can have. It was great. Fantastic. I definitely like my pork knuckle crispy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It has to be crispy. It has to be crispy. (laughs) It's it's just gross and it's mushy. Not chewy. Crispy. Guys, it was fun. Let's do this again soon. Bill, I promise we will pay you for the steak for winning the race for the ribeye a season ago. Or maybe maybe you... just try to double up next year and you eat two steaks in one sitting or something. That's right. Well, game day. This is this is my hope. Uh, it's it's Red River weekend, so it's not happening. But if Missouri beats Kansas State, Missouri LSU, the same week as OU Texas, you can come to my home. Well, not my home, but hometown. Uh, and, <laughs> Bill does and not want us at steak. his home. He would come to the Well, I mean, well, you could, you, yeah, that's true, but it's probably better steak to eat than, than whatever I put on my grill. What, what's your, what's your, what's the that steakhouse in Como, Bill, in Columbia, Missouri? Where does, where does Eli Drinkwitz take his recruits? Uh, there is a place called CC City Broiler, um, that, that is renowned for its, uh, for its giant, uh, hunks of meat. There, there's a, my favorite place in Columbia right now is called Bard Owl. We're going there tonight for my wife's birthday. Um, oh. and it's, they've got their in-house butcher, so they do lots of, uh, college town restaurant scenes have improved dramatically over the last 25 years. It's not, it's not pizza and steak anymore. There are lots of options, but you can still get a good steak. Well, happy birthday to Mrs. SP plus. Uh, thank you for downloading this podcast and listening. We'll be with you weekly at least until the season starts and then we'll kick it up full gear again. Bill, Pete, always good. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the college game day podcast.